So as we begin this evening, I would like to encourage you to see what it's like to practice during the, during the talk. And I'm happy to give the talk and I'm happy if you listen to the talk, but I'd like you to see what it's like to practice while you're listening. So we begin to erase the divisions that we sometimes make between uh, just sitting and other parts of our life, like right now, when we're being a little more interactive. And of course, you can uh, practice by being aware of your body, just sitting here. That's a very simple way to be mindful while you're listening. Uh, actually, in my reading of the um, Satipatthana Sutta, when the Buddha teaches about uh, talking and listening, it's in the mindfulness of the body section of the Sutta. And so that's how a little bit how I understand the way um, to be mindful while speaking and listening, which is different than like right speech, which is a whole other teaching of the Buddhas. But to be mindful in this interaction means we all want to be present here. And when I say here, I'm pointing at each of you right here where you are. And that presence is what's listening. And hopefully that presence that's here where I'm sitting is what's speaking. <clears throat> and so please feel free to play or experiment with practice in a way maybe you're not used to practicing in this way. And it's, it's very simple. I mean, you can be with the body or the breath, or you could be aware of sound, because my voice will be part of the sound and stay very moment-to-moment -moment present while the talk is happening and while the listening is happening. Because this is the whole show right now, is this moment, right? It's, it's the whole meditation practice is happening right now. And it'll include um, everything that's happening in your body, heart, and mind your thoughts and your feelings and your, um, your uh, presence or your lack of being mindful, both. But I find it very interesting to see what it's like to let the practice come alive in this slightly more interactive way. <clears throat> And I'm hoping what I'm suggesting is also very simple, what I'm saying. Be aware of your body right now while you're listening. Let your body be a little bit in the foreground, more than my words. And mostly you'll, you'll understand me. And, you know, if you miss something, it's probably not that important. And if it is, I'll tell you later, you know. Yeah. I'm fine to give you the secret teaching if you missed it. But 
But I really want to just encourage, especially we're totally in the heart of the retreat, and the threads that we've been working with, which is really of, of concentration and mindfulness, um, uh, can keep deepening now and have been nourished by us and by all of us, by our practice and our dedication and our commitment, meaning that you didn't leave so far. <clears throat> and in just a little more context about what we've been doing, we've been doing what the Buddha did for the most part. In other words, in my uh, understanding, the Buddha breathed himself to awakening. Like if you read the text, this, the practice we've been doing, mindfulness of breath, that's the, that's the practice that he did that led to his awakening. And it wasn't the only practice he did over his many years, but it was the practice where he sat down in Bodh Gaya and he sat down and vowed to sit until he woke up and, he, and then he sat and was mindful of his body and his breathing. And so um, he did that practice that night and woke up and then he did that practice for the rest of his life. That was a very key practice for the Buddha and then also for his followers, of which we are followers of the Buddha. You know, we're, we're, we're doing our teacher's practice that he instructed, and we have been doing that. And I hope we've all learned something while we're here. I hope we all have a sense of a more, a fuller sense of what does it mean to be here moment by moment with this very, very, very simple experience of being a human being and, and breathing. And also as we open it up, of course, thinking and feeling and seeing and tasting and touching, those are all part of being a human being. They're the different sense doors of human experience. And it's, and it's happening right now. Your, your sight and sound and taste and touch and thought and feeling and the awareness that's aware of whatever's predominant is also here right now. And so the life of the Buddha that lives within you is living right now, is alive right now. And part of what the Buddha suggested and we've been exploring and uh, learning about uh, different ways to settle or center our hearts and minds so that we have some unity of being here in, in our practice. And we can use that unity to focus and to use the energy and effort to become uh, more unified and clearer and more discerning about what's actually happening moment by moment by moment with the breath and body and as we open up to the rest of human experience. Um, 
and we started last night, Adrian started to open up the practice as is we do generally on this retreat about this time so that we start to look at what else is here and how else might we take this unification and uh, and see that it doesn't have to be different whether we're aware of the breath or whether we're aware of a sound or whether we're aware of a feeling or whether we're aware of the thinking process that happens for most people totally automatically. I always find that kind of interesting. Like nobody I know can just say, okay, I don't want to think now for a half an hour. And they have no thoughts. Is that anybody capable of that while you're here? I mean, that what one person is, but he's very he's very humble about it, and uh, and it's a very interesting component of human experience that thoughts happen often we don't even notice they're happening until they catch us, or we start to see oh we're thinking and we don't even realize we've been thinking often. And, 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 and really, maybe the most interesting thing is we, we tend to believe our thoughts, which is, you know, God help you. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all have some good thoughts sometimes and can think some interesting things, be very creative. But a lot of it, that's not what's happening. We're not even doing it. It's doing itself. So when Adrian started talking last night, one of the things she talked about was anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anicca, dukkha, anatta, the three characteristics of reality. Anicca is impermanence, change. Dukkha is dissatisfaction or suffering. And anatta is not-self, selflessness sometimes called, the not-self component of reality. <clears throat> and today we've been opening the field for those of you who wish to do Vipassana in the uh, conventional sense of not just focusing on the breath, but being mindful, being aware, being um, concentrated on whatever's predominant in our experience, not just uh, picking the breath and then weeding out everything else or letting everything else be in the background. And one of the things I always like about um, this point is I don't see the two as being so different. I don't see being mindful of the breath and being mindful of the body or feelings or sensations or thoughts as so different. It's the same uh, orientation. It's just a broader spectrum of what we're being aware of. And, it's, uh, uh, um, and it asks a little more... Um, uh, or a slightly different kind of concentration, kinika concentration, to be very 
aware and unified as we're aware of the changing uh, uh, phenomena that makes up human experience right here. And to stay very present in that way is not so different than staying present with the breath. If you examine the consciousness that's aware of anything, as far as I can tell, it's the same consciousness. Or it's, we could say it's the same awareness, even though nothing is the same moment by moment. So I'll, I'll add that in right now, even earlier than I was going to say, um, talk about this, but you hear the paradox of what I'm pointing at. Right? Because I'm saying, oh, it's the same awareness, but of course, it's never the same awareness. It's always new, because there's only this moment. There's only this experience. And the idea that the, this experience is not new is just something we think or we make up. And then we believe and act as if it's true. Like, oh yeah, I've had this experience. And even if our experience is similar, which many experiences are, it's not the same. This moment has never, ever happened before. Never. And will never happen again. And this moment is gone. Quickly. And our minds often, our hearts and minds aren't often composed enough to really see the immediacy of reality of each moment. But we're, we're learning, we're getting here, we're discovering. And so, and one of the reasons that I like this switch from concentration to mindfulness and back to concentration if we wish, is that we've been doing both anyways. Right? You, can't, you can't be concentrated without being mindful. And you can't be mindful without having some concentration. And, and uh, that's my experience and that's what I learned also from my teacher. I always appreciated that so much that he didn't separate the two. Like, oh, concentration's over here and now we're going to mindfulness, it's over here. No, we may focus on one area of our practice that we call concentration or samadhi. And, and then, of course, we don't leave it over here as we open the field of what we're aware of. It's right here. It's right in our, in our hearts and minds. And so the one way sometimes I think about this is... Um, Concentration is like, in the way we've been doing it, is a little like going to the gym, right? I'm, I like gyms, I like athletics and working out and things like that. And what's really um, fun is, oh, you, you do some um, going to the, here, I'll, I'll tell you a personal story. I hadn't been to a gym in years, actually, quite a while. And that, when I was younger, I went more, but I hadn't gone in years, and I had a bad, because I'd had a bad bicycle accident, and, uh, and it totally sidelined me for a long time. 
and, uh, you know, broken body and broken brain and, you know, bad. Like, don't recommend it at all. And, uh, but then, you know, slowly better, better, better over a few years. And then, uh, and, you know, and then I was riding bike and then I had another bike accident and I'm like, okay, I'm tired of this. I don't, it wasn't as bad, but it was like still broken body kind of bike accident. And, uh, but I didn't break my brain. That was, I was happy about that. Brain injuries are not, are not fun at all. Um, and anyhow, so then I'm better, better again, and I'm feeling like oh, I need to do something, and I went to the gym, and, and I couldn't do anything. <laughs> I, was, I was not in shape, as they say. And what was interesting was to watch slowly how muscles rebuild. And amazing that the body could even do that was how I felt. And I slowly, you know, worked out a few times a week and, you know, weights and different things. And, and, uh, and then what, uh, what was really cool, of course, is, oh, you don't leave the muscle at the gym. Like, then you have some muscle. And so, like carrying things and stuff, it's like, oh, I could carry stuff that before was really hard to carry, and then it became easy to carry. And so what I'm pointing to is when we do something like intensive uh, samadhi practice, we're building a muscle, and we're not leaving the muscle in last week or, you know, yesterday when we were doing samadhi practice. That muscle is here, or that may be a nicer way to say it, that capacity is right here. It's been developed. You have access to it. It's not going to go away. It may be not quite as toned as if when you're doing it every moment for every day for you know, a week or a month or three months, but it, it will go with you. And so... And so even now as we move to Vipassana, which is slightly more complex, you still have more muscle than you had a week ago. And so don't be afraid to use your capacity to be aware, even right now, of the hearing and staying very present in your body as you're hearing the sound of my voice in the room etc., or being aware of whatever you might be aware of. So, tonight I'd like to speak a little bit about uh, what are we doing here? <laughs> I always think that's a great question on a meditation retreat. I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> And of course, I have a lot of different answers. Uh, you know, mostly we're not doing anything. We're learning how to not do anything. We're learning something about how to be aware and wake up. And part of what facilitates that is the not doing so much. The absolute simplicity of life here all right, everybody got that? Life's pretty simple here. Like, you know, sit, walk, sit, walk, eat, pee, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, eat, bathroom, 
interview, Dharma talk, sit, walk, sit, good night. I mean, it's, that's the whole show. It's very simple. And the simplicity is so beautiful, really. It's so beautiful because it highlights how uncomfortable we are with simplicity, with just being. And remember, I think you all know we're called human beings. We're not called human doings. We're called human beings. And the beingness is not pointed at so well. And the Dharma points us at what it is to be what I consider a mature human being. Hmm. So we're waking up, discovering a little bit who we are, also discovering what we are. And what's the Dharma that is being pointed at and given to us in this very simple practice. And so we're investigating human reality in its simplicity, not in its complexity. <clears throat> and we're investigating it uh, experientially, which I think is key. And it doesn't mean we don't use our minds or we don't have concepts about it or we use concepts or use the various intelligence that has been handed to us. But we're looking at, we're taking all the conceptual understandings, which are beautiful, and we're looking at them experientially. What's their reality? And what's their reality right, right in your seat? What is the reality of the Dharma that is sitting here in each seat? <clears throat> And as we look experientially, we're also looking intimately, which we've used that word a lot, especially with the breath and body, being intimate with our experience and discovering the magic or mystery that's right here. Totally right here. The whole Dharma's right here. I think it's, I think Munindraji used to say that to Joseph Goldstein, oh, the the whole Dharma is right here, and he would point it at him, or point at you, point at me. The whole Dharma is right here, which I just love. I love that. It's just beautiful. And it's paradoxical that the whole Dharma is sitting in each seat right here. Because if you go into, especially these days, if you go into a bookstore, and go to the Buddhist section, there are a lot of books. And if you've been around, and I've been around a little while, I mean, I remember going into bookstores and there'd be four or five Buddhist books, and it was like, oh my God, great, a Buddhist book. <laughs> and now it's like, oh my God, Buddhist books. <laughs> too many, too many ideas. Everybody knows everything, and they do, but I don't need to read it all. <laughs> Uh, but it's paradoxical that the, the, the mystery of the Dharma is sitting here, and this is where we discover it, is in our own direct experience. And so part of what I'll be talking about is paradox tonight. Um, I'll say a little more later, but 
I love this quote that somebody just gave me from Rumi. He said, Rumi said, we are not a drop in the ocean. We are not a drop in the ocean. We are the ocean in a drop. Now that's good dharma in my understanding. We are not a drop in the ocean. We are the ocean in a drop. It's, I feel like I should stop the talk right there. So we've been looking at concentration, at the factors that come and support concentration, and then jhana, which is also totally kind of magical and mysterious, that jhana happens, right? We can't do jhana, it happens, right? We can, we can, we can plant the seeds and nourish the causes and conditions and then something happens that's called jhana. That sometimes people feel us like almost trance-like because it's such an altered state of consciousness. And it's beautiful and it can be very blissful and very rapturous and very unified and very equanimous and, and, and beyond that can be like going to different realms of reality feel like. In my, in my experience, especially when I was young, it was like, wow, I like that. It was very altered in a certain way. And you could learn how to do it, but you never had total control, which is an important piece of the Dharma that the Dharma points at. I, I, I think uh, people might know this, but we're not in control. Right? And I, I mean that quite seriously. We're not in control. And it's easy to think we are at times. And I've thought it. I thought I knew a lot at some point. But I keep learning. And so part of what we're starting to learn is not only how to nourish um, concentration and the different factors and then and then be skillful both in being relaxed and being willful together so that we can support what's needed for jhana to magically happen and uh, and uh, there's some other pieces we can also look at like what gets concentrated. And by that, I mean, I could ask it this way. I could say, who gets concentrated? That's, that's an easy question. But it's a more interesting question to say, what gets concentrated? What is it that's coalesced that we call heart and mind? Because if you look in the dictionary, you've got to get a lot of different definitions of both of them. Right? And even in Buddhism, you have different definitions of heart, of mind especially. Different ideas about it, depending which tradition you're looking in also. But something's getting coalesced, or coming together, or getting the other word that I didn't used to like, but I appreciate now, purified, clarified. It's 
So what's getting concentrated? And of course, I could ask the same question because we're, we're also in mindfulness, we're trying to be aware of everything, you know, anything and everything, right? What's aware? Not who's aware, but what's aware? What is that component of human experience that we call awareness? And I'm not asking you for an answer. I'm asking you to start to look experientially at what might reveal a response to these kind of questions about the magic or mystery of what's sitting in each seat, the Dharma, which is right here. So when Adrian talked about um, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta last night, again, impermanence is something I really love because everything is magical in impermanence. When we see the impermanent nature of reality, it's just appearing, sustaining for a moment or a little while and gone. And it's and where does it come from? And of course, I can give you some nice, you know, words, you know, and even Buddhist ideas about where it comes from, but who knows really where it comes from? Where does reality come from? Where does a moment come from? You know, I can easily say causes and conditions, but what the hell are causes and conditions, really? Except something a little bit mysterious that everything is appears and disappears whether we like it or not whether it's good or bad whether it's right or wrong whether it's what we think it is or not it's just magically appearing and disappearing i've always appreciated cuz there's a lot of emphasis on the disappearing and, you know, everything goes and all in Buddhism. But I saw something from Bhante Gunaratna a number of years ago about the the miracle of becoming. And he was talking about impermanence. He said, oh, not only is everything disappearing, but everything's becoming something else all the time. And how amazing that was. He was pointing at that. He called it one of the laws of nature. He said it's like the law of impermanence. There's the law of becoming. And I don't think that that got the great total Buddhist stamp from everybody. But I was, it caught my attention. Because, of course, everything is becoming everything else all the time. And, yeah. So impermanence is partly, um, we're watching it, right? We're watching how the retreat is impermanent, right? Right, it's been going. Remember, remember the first day of the retreat? If you can remember it, you're a young person. The old, us older people, we don't even, oh yeah, the first day, that was a while ago, you know? But, it, you know, and it was really real here for a while, wasn't it? And then it's gone. And that second day, third day, fourth day, it's all appears and it's very real, totally real for a moment. 
and then it's gone. <clears throat> and um, so impermanence points to the lack of solidity about reality. It's not solid. And of course, just to add this in, um, of course, we are reality, right? We're a manifestation of reality. Like, like everything, you know, like the glass and like the bell, manifestation and, 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 and all the animals and humans. We're just a manifestation, right? We're appearing and we'll be here for a moment or a year or 10 or 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110 now, they're saying people are living to, okay, you know, uh, and, and then we're gone. It's just, and it's not a, that, none of that is a bad thing. That's totally normal. That's reality. Appearing, sustaining for a moment, a while, and changing. If you like Bhante Gunaratna, becoming something else is partly what will happen. But it's the piece I want to just emphasize about impermanence is it's not solid. It's not static. It's not static. And I, I love that. I love the lack of stasis. Because if you know, if you look up the word static, it's got, it, it, if, you, if it's not static, it's ecstatic. <laughs> right? And that points to something about reality sometimes we miss. That each moment has the possibility to reveal the ecstasis of reality because it's brand new. Right now, this moment, you have never had it before. And it's, in my language, it's not exactly what the Buddha said, but it's Eugene language, it's totally wild. And, and I like that kind of wild, and it, it enlivens me, and it wakes me up. Because I'm, I realize I'm here, and, and I've never been here before. And I've taught up here for, I don't even know how many years anymore. That's a good thing I should think about. <laughs> 20 years? 25 years? I don't, I don't know. Long time. And it's still brand new, even though it's familiar and I have some idea what I'm doing, but it's still brand new. And quite beautiful that way because it's ecstasis, ecstatic. This is from Saira Uteshaniya who said, reality is never still. Reality is never still. It never stops. Reality is always new. There is never anything you experience in the moment that you have ever experienced before. It is always a new arising. And when I use the word magic, which I, did, I've never, I didn't use for years and years, was not in my vocabulary, but the last year, year and a half, it's been coming out of me. And so part of the magic is this moment. This reality, this, whether you like it or not, good or bad, right or wrong, it's still magically here right now, this moment. 
and it's appearing out of nowhere. And part of the magic is it's being known, right? We're aware of it. Again, liking it or not liking it, the awareness has its, in my opinion, magical component to it. <clears throat> and Suzuki Roshi, who is a brilliant, beautiful Zen teacher who started Zen Center in San Francisco, he said, the world, the world is its own magic. And, and this is it. This is the world right now. This is our whole world right at this moment. I mean, we can have ideas about other things and other places and other people, where we come from and who we are and all that. And those are all nice ideas. And I, I don't want to take your ideas. You can keep them. But they're just ideas. The whole world is just right here, right now. <clears throat> so I believe that part, part of the reason we're all here is that we're all seeking something. We, we come seeking. And, you know, you could think about what is it you want here. Because I, I don't believe we're all just like perfect, non-wanting beings. I don't, and I don't, I don't, I, I have no problem with wanting actually. It's really a good thing. What I, one of the things I love about the Buddha is if you read the text is he wanted to wake up. And there was no joke about that for him. And he gave himself to that, what he wanted. He devoted himself to what he wanted. And when, and when things didn't give him what he wanted, he left them. I believe somebody said that here, you know, that when he had teachers that he, he learned the jhanas from, and it was good, it was all good, but it wasn't giving him what he wanted, he left. And so, you know, because often wanting gets a bad name in Buddhism, you shouldn't want. And that's a different uh, kind of wanting that is... Uh, not devoted to waking up. <clears throat> and so one of the mysteries, I believe, is that we all come here wanting some truth or freedom or love or kindness or happiness. And I believe those are all good things to want. Those are really good things to want. And to give ourselves, give our hearts to the wanting of it and be aware of it may actually help it all happen. Having the intention, like the Buddha did, for freedom to happen or waking up to happen or love, right? Some You can always find, there's a beautiful uh, um, text that has at least been taught to me as in Buddhism as the sure heart's release, as a euphemism for uh, awakening, the sure heart's release. It's just beautiful understanding. And, but there is a paradox that we don't see what's right, that this is it. This is it right here. This is it. Right? And I just, I'm pointing at each person because this is it. And and on one hand, that's just 
beautiful and great. Uh, actually, I not just on one hand, take away the caveat there. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful what the Buddha discovered and then said, oh, this is available for us as human beings, right? And you're all in the club now, right? You're all a human being. And what you seek, whether it's the numinous or the holy or the sacred, it's available. And it may, it may reveal itself uh, in different ways than we expect, but I believe the intuitive movement towards freedom or awakening is inherent in us. I believe it's somewhere, and this may be my belief, that's not a, I don't know if that's a Buddhist anything, but that's my belief at this point. And because I, everywhere I look, I just see people want to be happy, or people want to be free, or people want to be themselves. And I always love the teaching in Zen where they say, uh, uh, how do you wake up? Be yourself all the way to the end. That's a whole beautiful teaching of its own. Mm. So the paradox of the Dharma of practice is we know something and we don't know something at the same time. We, we intuit something and it's still, we're still learning even about what we're intuiting, which we don't, we're not sure what it is exactly. <clears throat> you know, the wise ones say, you are what you seek. You are what you seek. And that's a beautiful understanding that I feel is very much in alignment with Buddhism. Mm. So I'll read you another uh, Buddhist quote that I love very much from Zen Master Dogen. And he talks about practice and waking up. He says, to study Buddhism, actually usually often it's, re, it's read, uh, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self, which we've been doing here in a certain sense. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things. Okay, and I'll give you a Eugene commentary on this, right? To study the Buddha way is to study the self. We study what's right here. We study this human experience whether we're working with the breath or the body or the sensations or the sounds or the smells or the tastes or the touch or the thoughts or the feelings or the states of consciousness, or we're, we're working with ourselves, the human experience, right? And to study the self is to forget the self, is to let go of the self, is not be so 
not hold on to the self, to, to start to recognize the value of self and the value of not-self that the Buddha pointed at. So to study the Buddha ways, to study the self, to study the self is to let go of the, forget the self or let go of the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things, is to be intimate with all things. So the word that's translated as intimate is the same word that one is often translated as awakened or enlightened, right? So, so to forget the self is to become intimate or to forget the self is to become awakened by all things. And so our consciousness or our awareness starts to open. So it's not just limited to what's right here, but to everybody and to everything. And so the permeability of reality starts to wake up right here. It's not static or defined or limited. It starts to become limitless in some way. And then Dogen goes on, that's usually, I, I've read you the parts it's usually read, but the next part is even, it's more interesting given the paradox that I'm pointing at. So study the self is to, to study Buddha ways to study self, study self, forget the self, to forget the self is to become intimate with all things. To become intimate with all things is to drop off body and mind and drop off the body and mind of others. To become intimate with all things is to drop off our own body and mind and the body and mind of others. No trace of enlightenment remains. No trace of enlightenment remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. No trace of enlightenment remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. So I don't do commentary on the last part, because it's so beautiful what he's pointing at, and it's so non-logical, which I really appreciate because he's pointing at something that's beyond our usual idea of logic. And so as we continue to practice here for the next few days, don't, don't let any idea limit you about what's possible. Who knows what's possible? I, I don't know. I mean, I have some ideas about what is possible, and I've seen that some of the, those ideas can happen, but I've also seen that things happen that I don't even know are possible, and they're good what can happen for us as human beings, what we can discover about who and what we are, or the Dharma, or the nature of reality, whatever words we want to give to it. 
But I would still like to encourage you to be as we were doing and have been doing and some of you will continue doing with the breathing. Stay very committed, very devoted, very, very dedicated to practicing moment by moment by moment because this retreat will not last forever in this form. And the good fortune that we all have to be here and to be sitting and walking and practicing and looking at our bodies, hearts and minds and what happens as we do that is quite a blessing. And please um, take advantage of it. See what can happen. And, and there's, again, it's very simple what's being asked. Moment by moment by moment, stay aware and be mindful. Whether you stay with the breath or whether you open it to the different phenomena of human experience. That's all, that's all. There's nothing else you have to do. And it, all the thoughts or ideas, be aware of them as thoughts and ideas. You don't have to believe them. See what happens if you spend one day and you give your whole heart to staying present moment by moment by moment without expecting to do it perfectly. It really helps not to have that kind of idea. But it means, I, I was trying to think how to add this in. I thought I'd do it tomorrow morning, but I realized I could do it now. One thing I noticed is sometimes in walking around, I'll, I'll walk past some of you and you'll nod at me. And I often don't nod back at all. And it's nothing, it's not because I don't like you. It's because oh, I don't want to interrupt your practice. We're not here to do social inter interaction. That is not why we're here. We're here to wake up. And the waking up can happen at any and every moment. And so I just want to, I want to, I just want to explain that partly because I don't want to offend anybody. But also I, that, that's always been my understanding when I'm in retreat. I'm not relating to anybody in that kind of normal social way because it's an opportunity to, to just see what is this? What is this experience right here? that we call seeing, hearing, tasting, thinking, smelling, right, feeling, etc. And what happens is we stay very mindful, very present with it moment by moment by moment by moment in a very continuous way. Let's sit for a moment, please. with a 
quote from Kalu Rinpoche, who said, we live in illusion, we live in illusion and the appearance of things. We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you discover this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. period of walking practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.